Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Our God, we thank you. We thank you for being present here today. We thank you that there is no barrier between us and you. We thank you, God, that in the midst of pain and hardship, through trial, through toil, through, through all the, the heartache that comes in life, that you are there and you are with us. We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit dwells here in us and through us and among us, and that we are not alone, that we don't, we don't hurt alone, that we don't suffer alone, that we are with you at all times, and our circumstances cannot define who we are and how we treat others, but we can be filled with you and be present with you in all circumstances. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Be here this morning. Be here this morning as we approach your word. Be here this morning. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Speak. Speak your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I hope you all are doing well. I hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. I hope that your table was filled with goodness and blessing and that you feasted with family and friends. And I hope, I hope that as you gathered around the table that you were reminded of the abundance that God blesses us with, that he is forever good to us. For the past few weeks, Jim has talked about initial steps in faith, those, those first three things that you do whenever you become a Christian. He talked about repentance, how you repent of your sins, you turn away from, from the life that you used to live, the, the sin that you used to be accustomed to. You confess the lordship of Jesus in your life and you are baptized into salvation, into his death, burial, and his resurrection to live a new life abundant in Jesus Christ. So after those three steps, what's next? What do you do after that? Well, what happens next is you join the community of believers. You gather around the table, much like what we just did in communion, and you gather around with people, and you care for one another, and you minister in the name of Jesus. As Rob said before, uh, Peter and Jesus, they had a kind of a, a hard relationship, a good relationship, but a hard relationship. And the reality of the church for the last 2,000 years is that, is that Christians have shown us that the church has always been equal parts Peter and Jesus. You know, before... Peter was restored before, before that scene. Jesus walked out on water, right? 
And whenever Jesus walked out on water, he called Peter out of the boat, and Peter got out of the boat, and he started walking on water, and then he took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. And he reached up, his hands reached up towards Jesus for his salvation, and Jesus reached down into the water and picked him up. We have always been, as a church, one part Peter and one part Jesus. There's, there's that part of us that's Peter that's constantly reaching up knowing that we need salvation, that we need to repent again, that we need the grace of Jesus because we always seem to take our eyes off of him. But we also get to be the hands of Jesus reaching down into the water and grasping for people who need grace. The church gets to be a beautiful picture of that. But sometimes, guys, sometimes we look a whole lot more like Peter than we do Jesus, am I right? Man, that Peter part can get real messy. Some of us have a hard time handling the mess of church. My mom is not a person who handles mess very well. When I was growing up, uh, we had a very uh, well-dressed house. Uh, decorations, and just beautiful, beautifully decorated, curated. My mom had everything in order, in its place, how it should be. It was constantly clean. Everything was in its place. And the dining room table was the highlight. Every season, she would change the decorations out on the dining room table, and it looked beautiful. She, she, would, she would decorate it this, this certain way. And, you know, me being who I am, I had to mess with it, right? And I would mess with everything in the house. And, and, and of course, the table was, was a great place. I would just turn a figurine that was on the table just slightly, right? Or I would just like push a candlestick over, yeah? And she would come in and she would look at the table and she would say, oh no, our table, it's broken. And she would fix whatever's there, put it back into place, and everything would be well again, right? So you can imagine this one day when she came home, I had taken a Sharpie out in my room, and I wrote on my wall, my, <sighs> y'all, I don't know what I was thinking, right? So these walls are all white, right? All the walls, pristine, beautiful walls. I took my Sharpie out, and I said, you know what? This is gonna be my encouragement wall. I'm gonna write some verses of hope on my wall, and then my friends would come, and they're going to write verses on the wall, and they're going to draw pictures, and then it's going to be this really cool thing, this really cool place for, for my community that, that comes into my house to see this wall and be encouraged. It's going to be awesome. Black Sharpie is literally the most difficult thing to paint over in the entire universe. Or can you imagine coming home to change, something changing in your house. Someone, can you imagine someone who left Lubbock about five years ago? Lubbock used to be a reliable, good, Dallas Cowboys loving city, right? We, we used to be that silver and blue and white all the way. This was our town, Cowboys city, right? Like we love the Cowboys here. But about three years ago, this kid with a cool haircut started playing 
in the big leagues, right? Started throwing sidearm touchdowns and winning championships and being MVP. And all of a sudden, Arrowhead started showing up around town. And you could fly this flag unembarrassed in this city. Can you imagine someone who left five years ago coming back today and seeing that everywhere? Mahomes everywhere. The shock, the horror, the dismay. Whew. This is the same situation we find ourselves in in the beginning of Romans. Uh, the, the letter to the Romans, we have these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christians were, were still keeping Torah law. They were being good, law-abiding Jews. They had their list that told them how to live, what they could wear, what they could eat, what day to rest on. Something weird happened in Rome in about, uh, about 49 AD. Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome. He said, get out of here. We don't want you guys here. Get out. So they had to leave their homes and their church behind, and they left. In AD 54, Claudius died, and the Jewish Christians got to come back to, to Rome. And when they did, they found a church that looked entirely different. A church that looked completely different than what they left. They found that the Gentiles no longer followed the law that they weren't circumcising the new believers, that they weren't eating kosher, that they, they were loose with the Sabbath, that they'd taken their list, their list, and they threw it out the window. How could these people be righteous? They threw it all away. And so Paul gets word of this. They send him a message. They say, Paul, we're in trouble. This church is in trouble. And so Paul in Corinth sits down and he writes a letter to send back to the church. And he sends it with this, this deacon, Phoebe, and Phoebe takes this long 744-mile journey from Corinth to Rome. And this church is in an uproar, in turmoil, in, and they're struggling, they're fighting. And then in the middle of the assembly, Phoebe walks in the door, and she hands this letter over to one of the Jewish leaders among them, and he says, okay, good, good, good. We finally have, have word from our apostle Paul. He's going to set the record straight. So he starts to read. He says, okay, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, standard greeting. He, he wants to come here. He wants to see us, yada, yada. Uh, the gospel is good. Yeah, yeah, cool. Ah, here we go the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen? Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they gave, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but are also approve of those who practice them. Now here is where I'm going to pause because someone else thought I should pause. This is where good exegesis comes into play. Exegesis is, is how we interpret the Bible, how we look at Scripture, how we study the Word of God. And exegesis is very, very important right here in this moment. It's very important in this moment because of two things. First, the way we study the Bible matters in this moment because the pronouns change. The tone changes in the letter. It changes from them, they, to you, y'all. It's a tone change. It's a shift in the way things are being spoken. Also, another important thing, they didn't have chapter headings back then. They read the whole letter. Here's a truth that you need to bring with you. Watch this. You can't stop Romans at chapter one. You gotta keep reading. So where was I? Although they know God's righteous decree, those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who, who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you, you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Guys, hold up one second. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to go read this letter alone for a minute before I come back and talk to you. Uh, those who pass judgment do the same things, and you can just hear the assembly go, "No, no, no! Keep reading." What else does he have to say about about you? What else does Paul have to say about about you? Oh. Uh, 
Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth, so uh, when you and a mere man pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And he has to keep reading, doesn't he? He gets down to verse 17 of chapter 2, and it gets real harsh. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light for those who are in darkness, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? If you break one part of the law, Paul is saying you've broken the whole thing. That changes the dynamic of what's at play in this church entirely, doesn't it? You can't just sit there and point at what everyone else is doing wrong. And Paul just says, guess what? Guess what? Jesus changed something and maybe your list Maybe your list doesn't matter quite as much anymore. Maybe your list needs to change. Here's a new list for you. Chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 says this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith. In Jesus Christ, to all who believe, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Here's your new list, Jesus. Jesus is the beginning and the end of the list of requirements for righteousness. He is all of it. All of it, every last bit of it, it's Jesus. Jesus is, is your righteousness. There is nothing that you bring to the cross that will give you higher standing before God and there is nothing that you can do after the cross that will bring you higher standing with God. Nothing will surpass the cross. Nothing will go before the cross and nothing will come after it. Jesus has accomplished your righteousness. He has accomplished everything. And you just need to trust in him. He is enough for you. And he is enough for everyone you know. 
Can you receive the grace of Jesus? And can you give grace the way Jesus gives it? Do your relationships reflect the power of the cross? The gospel and community have a common enemy. Pride. The inability to repent and the unwillingness to forgive and receive. See, when I left home for college many years after that initial mark of the pen on the wall, my wall was filled with notes and pictures because a woman realized that the goodness within that mess, the goodness that could come through that mess was more important than a clean wall. It's the realization that the beauty of your table has a lot less to do with what's on it and a whole lot more to do with who's around it. People matter. Jesus displayed that for all of us. Maybe, maybe today, your table needs to be reset. If you need prayer this morning, we're here for you. You can come, sit in the front, and we would love to pray with you. If you need to repent and become one and whole with Jesus Christ this morning in baptism, we're here for you. There's a place for you to come and sit for us to pray with you, and we can make that happen. If you want to be part of this community that's built on Jesus Christ, we're here for you. You can come forward. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you and invite you and live kingdom life with you. If that's you this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.